Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. Hey, welcome back to the Game Plan Podcast. First time, long time. Alongside Brian Perkins, I'm Judah Newby. Coming out of the bye week, the Seattle Seahawks getting ready to uh, get back in action and go to Motown. We'll preview the matchup with the Lions later on this week, but we felt like we needed to get back on and talk some Seahawks football after the bye week. I mean, being away from the mic for about a week is too long for either one of us not to talk some Seahawks, Perkins. Oh, yeah. I mean, even with a bye week, there's always a storyline, whether it's other teams in the division, what they did while the Seahawks were off, the trades that happened that can change the landscape of a conference or a team. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of conversation and obviously Paul Allen passing away. Yeah, we'll talk to, about the Paul Allen legacy as a Seattle sports owner and especially, uh, you know, we're familiar with his legacy here in Portland with the Trailblazers having owned them since 1988. But he also owned the Seahawks, making that purchase in 96 at a critical time. We'll get to that later in the pod. You mentioned trades. There was one that happened just a moment ago as we cracked the mic. The Giants trading Eli Apple defensive back to the Saints for a fourth-round pick next year and a seventh-round pick in 2020. And uh, Patrick Peterson from the Arizona Cardinals, bringing it back to the NFC West, has officially requested a trade from the Arizona Cardinals, a longtime staple of that franchise. Just goes to show you, no one's immune from uh, unhappiness, yeah. You know, given any current situation. We, of course, are familiar with that dynamic, star players being discontent in Seattle, Earl Thomas, and then Cam's injury and Richard. Uh, now Patrick Peterson for the Arizona Cardinals. Seems like he's going through something similar as that team's just in a state of disarray. Yeah, no, they really are. I mean, they got pounded on uh, Thursday Night Football. The Cardinals did. But, man, that trade, Eli Apple trade, is a bigger deal, right? I mean, we're talking about a, a Saints team that wins a big game against the Ravens thanks to a missed extra point. And that's a team that's uh, in, in the Saints that is likely going to probably get the crown in that division. But you never know when it comes down to a wild card race towards the end of the season. I mean, that's a big addition. Uh, you know, the Giants losing a, a talented player, but, you know, New York sucks. So they're not going to be doing anything this year. So we're talking about a defense that's just getting stronger for New Orleans. That's going to be uh, tough for other opponents uh, here in the NFC. Yeah, for Eli Apple, never good when you draft a guy in the first round two years ago, and two years later he's being traded for a fourth and a seventh. Uh, disappointing career, certainly for a player that so far came in with a, a bit of expectation. Certainly so far, yeah. Dennis Allen runs the defense in New Orleans. They improved greatly over time last year. Got off to an inauspicious start this year, giving up the 40-burger to Tampa Bay at home. Uh, but, you know, they got a playmaker in Cam Hayward. They got a couple of good linebackers. We know what they have in the secondary as well. Now Eli, Man Eli Manning, Eli Apple seems to figure into that too. Uh, the L.A. Rams keep winning. They put up 39 points on the 49ers on the road last week. Best team in the NFL, in my opinion. You agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, they're playing at such a high level, and and San Francisco had no chance in that game. I mean, by halftime, it was over. And they just have so many weapons. I mean, Cooper Cup, uh, you know, was out of that game with the sprained knee. Uh, and they just have so many guys. Brandon Cooks is really starting to feel comfortable in the offense. Robert Woods is that type of guy that's really speedy. You can utilize him out of the backfield even at times. You can, uh, you know, give him passes behind the line of scrimmage and let him make plays. I mean, there is so much you can do with the weapons that they have. And, of course, you have, you know, Todd Gurley, who's one of the best running backs in the NFL. And Jared Goff has come into his own, most importantly. He's making big-time throws this year. That offense is 
borderline unstoppable and the defense is good enough. You know, a lot of people are finding the correlation between 2013 Seahawks and 2018 Rams. The only issue I have with that uh, is that to me, it kind of feels like the opposite where the Rams offense is the one that's unstoppable and the defense is good enough. Whereas in 2013, you had arguably the best defense or one of the best defenses in the history of the NFL. And you had an offense that did enough to get you over the top. And you mentioned the 49ers with the loss. They're now one in six. So we can go ahead and forget about them for anything meaningful, but I do feel bad for them. Um, I was looking forward to Jimmy Garoppolo in the Shanahan offense for a full season. If he doesn't make an unwise decision, trying to stay in bounds in Kansas city, then we might still be talking about them moving forward. They're still competing. I mean, they should have won that Monday night game in green Bay, arguably. If you look at the wild card picture in the NFC now, Pretty interesting. If the season ended today, Seattle would be the seventh seed. So just out on the outside looking in, Green Bay with a three win, two loss, one tie record, a half game better than the three and three mark of the Seahawks. But you look at the other teams around them, Buccaneers are three and three. Detroit, Chicago is three and three. The defending Super Bowl champion Eagles lost Sunday despite leading 17 to nothing in the fourth quarter to Carolina. And I went back and watched this fourth quarter, and it was a bizarre fourth quarter. You had Carolina going for it on fourth and 10 at their own 30-yard line, trailing by three points late in the game, and they got it on a beautiful, amazing play by Newton. Score the go-ahead winning touch, go-ahead touchdown. They hold on. Um, that loss for the Eagles, though, could be significant if they don't win the NFC East, and they might be one of those teams that competes for a wild card. Every loss is important. For the Eagles or for any wild card competing team, if you're talking about in comparison to Seattle, it's kind of a bizarre year, isn't it? So far, it doesn't feel like there's any one division that's good, top to bottom, and every division seems to have like one good team, except for maybe the NFC East. Which yeah, I still, man, you know, don't you feel like Philly second half has to be the best team? But that being said, they've lost to Jai. They're not the same on defense, and. You know, offensively, they just haven't been consistent. I mean, I just have a hard time seeing them losing that division to the Cowboys or Washington. You know, like, yeah, I just yeah. I just don't – look, I mean, the Super Bowl hangover is a real thing. I mean, it's happened throughout history, right, for a lot of teams, uh, Patriots notwithstanding. But, man, they just have too much talent. They just have too much talent for me to feel like they're not going to get it together second half of the season. I know they're 3-4, and four, but there's still plenty of football left, and when you have the talent they do, I think they can make that up. Isn't it funny, though, that we probably would say the same thing about Green Bay, second-half football team. You know, if Rodgers keeps improving his health, they'll probably keep winning and be around that 9-7, and 10-5-1, and 9-6-1 and and mark, right? <laughs> At that yeah. damn tie. Carolina is 4-2, and two, and yet that, to me, is a team that I feel like regression would be coming, even though they've got a strong defense and— I just feel like Cam is one of those guys. It's hard to rely on him to be consistent the entire season. I'll use your word again, notwithstanding his 15-1 and MVP year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, you look at the NFC South right now and you have Tampa Bay, who's not a good team. No, not anymore. You have, uh, you have the Falcons, who... Injuries have crushed them. Destroyed crushed them. them. Destroyed yes. them big time. And they just are one of those teams that's not very consistent. But... You're right. I mean, it doesn't feel like, and honestly, I feel this way about the Packers too. I don't think that they're a very good team, and I don't think the Panthers are a very good team, top to bottom. 
I just don't I that that's why you kind of think there's a glimmer of hope with Seattle playing better that maybe they can compete for a playoff spot just because it feels like the conference as a whole in my opinion is down. Mm-hmm. I mean Washington right now is leading the the NFC East. I mean they're not a good team. Come on. I mean they're they're not going to be there at the end of the year. So it feels like it feels like the conference is is pretty top heavy with the Rams, maybe the Saints just because you have the experience of Drew Brees as well. Uh, Minnesota, See, are they going to come on? It's a huge wild card. I f- they are certainly good enough. Look, at blink of an eye, they're 4-2-1. and one. And they're, they're they scheduled three in a row? Yeah, and they're scheduled to start the year when you look at their quality of opponent. Brutal. Pretty tough. A lot of road games. Yeah, they've won three in a row. They won on the road in Philly, you know, after having to face the Packers and Rams right out of the gate in weeks two and four, so... I think Minnesota is certainly a team to be reckoned with. Big Sunday night game between them and New Orleans. Yeah. Can't wait for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. So I think the NFC, obviously, we're, we're still waiting to see it take shape. But, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're if you're looking at things right now, you know, the, you're not winning the division if you're Seattle. I mean, that's no. that's done. So, But a five or six. A five or six is still a possibility. So what you're looking at is, I mean, that win, the Saints win was a big deal. I mean, that Justin Tucker missed extra point could have a huge impact on the outcome of this season for not just the Saints, but other teams in their playoff hopes. Potentially, it could matter down the line. And that's the first thing I thought of when he missed that yeah. kick. He made 202 consecutive extra points before missing. I don't know. Let's ask the announcers again, because they could not emphasize that enough before his kick. Yeah, Good no. Lord. That was an amazing... Uh, I don't blame him. It was Chris Myers. I don't blame Chris Myers. He was ready with the note. He delivered it. He executed his job. He did. He I'm didn't not blaming him. Influence but anything on the play? It's I'm, amazing. But when he's saying it, didn't you think announcers curse a little bit? Didn't it cross your mind a when you were bit. watching the kick? A I was like, bit. oh my god, watch him shank. This. But then I saw it's Justin freaking Tucker. And yeah, he never misses, and then he missed. Well, and it, it's very reminiscent of that play uh, the Saints had, I think, back in 2003, who were on the other side of things, where they had a, the 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 laterals, and I can't remember who ended up scoring, but they basically scored a touchdown to tie in 03. Back when uh, Brooks was their quarterback. And then missed the extra and, point, right? Yeah, it was, uh, God, what was that kicker's name? He's like, really good kicker, too. Another Carney. one. Carney. Yeah, yeah, John Carney. Yeah. He shanks it. <laughs> and you hear the announcer go, no! <laughs> what was he thinking? I love the, uh, man, kickers are just God's gift to earth. <laughs> and that's back when the extra point was, you know, 17 yards or whatever it was, 27 yards. It does go to show you that this week's game with Detroit is very meaningful. Two, three, and three teams that you figure will, you know, make some sort of play for a wild card. It's a huge game for both teams. Yeah, and it, you know, when you think about it, I know we'll dive into it later this week, but, you know, 10 a.m. games are always the bane of any West Coast team's existence, right? Those 10 a.m. early start games, but... You know, you're coming off a big win. You had a bye week. You're playing a team that's gettable. I mean, things are lining up for Seattle to have success mm-hmm. despite the fact that they have to go play a 10 a.m. game on the road. So, yep. Got to keep it simple. Got to keep it simple. Got to execute at a high level. Power rankings on ESPN.com were published this morning. Me and you were talking about this. Seattle is 16th in the power rankings in the NFL, up one spot during their bye week from 17 to 16. And one of the authors made a note that, you know, they're they're highlighting one player to step up from each team. The player to highlight was Russell Wilson, but they only backed it up by his passing yardage per game, which if you pay any iota of attention to the Seahawks, you realize the passing yardage, you know, being low for Russell Wilson per game this year is not a reflection of his quality of play. It's a reflection of the offense. No, yeah. 
without a doubt. And you know, early in the year, the he structure had, of the offense, I should say, not the not the lacklusterness of the offense, the structure of it, the philosophy of it. Yeah, I mean, sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's fine. No, I I I agree. It's it's the you know philosophically, this team has clearly you know navigated to be a run first offense, and Wilson has had his struggles, right? I mean, he he had some games, some bad games early in the year where he was missing throws. Chicago was not good either. No, not and Arizona. I mean, yeah. it's not a great game. Yeah. But you know, the last several weeks, he's played really well. And yeah, the passing yardage hasn't been there, but man, he's been efficient. And he's made the big plays when he's needed to. And this, by the way, with his best receiver missing games and still hampered with a knee injury. Uh, so, I mean, look, you're talking about new tight ends this year. Doug Baldwin goes down with injury. You have a couple new receivers, Moore uh, and uh, Brown, right? Yeah. That he has to get in sync with early on. And it's only going to get better from there, but I, I think that Wilson has played about as well as you need him to uh, the last several weeks. You know, in the game against the Rams, ultimately they couldn't get it done, but I don't know, Judah. I, I get that the numbers aren't there in a pass-heavy league in terms of yards per game, but to me, it's the philosophy of the offense. Yeah, I don't the, get that criticism. The demands on the position are much less given the structure of the offense, too. Yeah. Um, they're looking more for game management and leadership and not turning the ball over, which he's done a pretty good job of doing that all year. It's just weird when you're talking about a $20 million, 30-year-old quarterback asking him to do that. doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But but he's made some great plays, too. Yeah, if it means winning you know, games, and whatever. He's made some very Russell Wilson plays. You know, the, 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 the fumbled snap that turns into a touchdown. You know, some of those deep balls he had, the one where he just missed, missed Baldwin just by missed. a hair. Uh, and then him and Baldwin end up connecting later on. So I, I mean, I, I don't know. I agree. I when I read that, I was a little miffed. Just like, yeah. have you been paying attention to this team at all? Like, are you just looking at stats? Are you looking at all how they are there philosophically or anything? Because that was a bad take in my opinion. Seventh in the league in rush yards per game right now. It's pretty good after yeah. not starting super well in that category. I'd still, I think the goal is to finish as a top four rushing team in the league. That's that's my expectation for them. If they're going to prioritize it this much. The production needs to reflect that of a top four league rushing offense. Do you agree or disagree? No, I agree. If they're going to get to a wild card spot, that's probably what they're going to need to do. And not only to be more efficient on offense and to find the end zone more often, but just to control the clock more. You know, the defense has, I think, exceeded expectations. Wouldn't you agree? Mm -hmm. uh, this season for the most part. But you're still going to run into some pretty big name quarterbacks as the season progresses here uh, down this final stretch. And you're going to have to be, even against the Lions, you're going to have to be able to control this game and control the tempo and control clock and give your team an opportunity to win late. As we wrap it up here on the Game Plan Podcast, reminiscing on the legacy of Paul Allen, who passed away last week, Monday, at the age of 65 from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It returned for the second time after uh, going into remission upon initial diagnosis nine years ago. Allen also owned the Trailblazers since 1988. He owned the Seahawks since 1996. And he played the key role in purchasing it from Ken Baring, who owned the team prior to that, who was threatening to move the team to Florida or Los Angeles and out of the Seattle market. And though I had not really thought much about it, the, the idea growing as a young sports fan growing up, you don't really put too much stock into ownership. But as I reflect, 96, 97, 98, that's around the time I'm really starting to become a Seahawks fan as a 92 baby. And I don't if they're not in Seattle. 
probably gravitate to my dad's team, the 49ers. So just on a personal note, the fact that his purchase of the team helped reestablish them there, played a year in the Husky Stadium, got into, you know, CenturyLink Field, which was Seattle Seahawks Stadium at the time, and then turned into Quest Field, and then CenturyLink after that. Paul Allen, I have you to thank. Rest in peace for my Seahawks fandom. Think about the sports landscape in the Pacific Northwest without Paul Allen. We don't know what would have happened, but there's a potential that your professional sports teams in Portland and Seattle are Timbers, Sounders, Mariners. I mean, the sports landscape would be completely different without Paul Allen having an impact. And, I mean, look, the news totally came out of left field because the statement that he made made it seem like they were optimistic. And, I mean, that was just a few weeks before. So that was really, really stunning. And he, was a, he wasn't old at all. I mean, he was in his 60s. That's young in 2018. So I'm with you. I became a Seahawks fan in about... I would say 97, 98-ish. Kind of the John Kitney years is when I really started to pay more attention to football in general. I was more of a basketball guy growing up and a huge Blazers fan, you know, obviously growing up here in Portland. But the impact that Paul Allen had as an owner, and he was the type of owner that wanted to win. He didn't see the Blazers and the Seahawks as a cash cow where he was going to milk it for as much money as he could. Of course, he wanted to make money off of it, but that was not the ultimate goal. He wanted to win championships. And you saw, I mean, the Seahawks since, you could argue since, what, 2003, have been one of the most successful franchises in and the NFL. I mean, if you think about Super Bowl appearances, they've had three. You think about playoff appearances, they've had, what, since 2003, I think 10 playoff appearances, 11. This is a franchise that has been very successful, and the Blazers made the playoffs 23 out of 30 years of his ownership. I always think of the relationships he had with his star players in Seattle and in Portland. Uh, currently, Russell Wilson and Damian Lillard both respected him very much, and both of them have met personally with him and hung out with him one-on-one. That's always neat to see. And the relationship he had with Pete Carroll, um, also Neil Olshay, the GM of the Blazers, just reminisced on some Phone chats that Paul Allen would call him out of the blue with, like, any curious boss. Curious is actually probably a good adjective for uh, for Paul Allen. He was curious about so many different avenues of life and industries, and he had the money to be able to pursue any of his interests. He was such an interesting guy because he was interested in so much stuff. I really respect that out of him. Um, it helps when you have the affluence to be able to to pursue any of your interests, but he wanted to learn and grow as a person, a very intellectual guy. Never got married, never had any kids, um, didn't have much media exposure. Was very, uh, kept to himself very much. And yet you knew that he wanted to win. You knew that he had the competitive streak and fire. He would show up to a lot of Blazer games, a lot of Seahawks games, raise the 12th man flag. Um, you know, I'll always remember him celebrating playing his electric guitar on stage in New York after... You know, the team won Super Bowl 48. What a picture. I mean, what yeah. a cool, cool guy. Yeah, I mean, he, he he really did want to win, you know. And you think about it, there are tons of crappy owners out there, you know, that just make terrible decisions all the time. Even the ones that want to win that constantly make bad decisions. And while I think there is a consensus that Allen may have had his hand in the cookie jar maybe a little too much sometimes when you talk about uh, the influence that he may have made on acquisitions – he really cared and was willing to spend a lot of money 
on guys to build winning teams. And, you know, I think that he really sensed the benchmark for what a sports owner should be, you know, and he fought a lot in the NFL and NBA for small market teams. Grateful that the Seahawks could get him a title and his championship. Yeah, I, I'm pretty bummed he was never able to hold up the uh, Larry O'Brien trophy. Yeah. Here in Portland. I know it's a football podcast, but, I mean, the, the blood, sweat, and tears that went into that Blazers franchise, you know, from him. And uh, the talent, the, how close they came, right? In Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. Hey, and the finals when he owned them in 91 yeah, 92. Yep. I know, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that, that year with... You know, Arvidas and Damon yeah, Stoudemire. Don't I mean, remind me of the worst day okay, of my life. Okay, sorry. But yeah, Second I mean, worst day of my life. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, hashtag Super 40. Thanks to the yeah. other Paul Allen team. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I think he really sets the benchmark, and, and he has created a, a pretty uh, a big shoes to follow, I think, for both of these franchises. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Chuda Newby. We'll come back later in the week. We'll also talk a little bit more about the prospective ownership the Seahawks could take later on. That'll be for another podcast, but... We'll come back Friday to preview Seahawks and Lions. This is the Game Plan Podcast, 1029thegame.com.